but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hi everyone, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm James. I'm Jonathan. We are sitting here a mere four days after our last episode was recorded, after a break of almost three weeks. We're really back to work. Three weeks since we'd actually recorded, but two weeks since we had put an episode out. Yes. To be clear. We didn't leave you in the lurch completely, even though we left. This is my least favorite time to be recording. Uh, Mm. The slam preview episodes are just... Not much fun for me, if I'm honest. That is not really a good way to start. I'm just being very forthright. Are you asking people just to, like, turn it off now? I'm sure we'll still deliver (laughs) something that's quality content for folks to enjoy. I'm just saying I'm just not amped up for it. Well, I do enjoy the last few slams. This might be the the third time in a row that we've been participating in the tennis Twitter racket bracket thing which i enjoy that but by and large the prognosticating is a a futile exercise for me a futile maybe but it can be fun and it's good for the brain to think this way i think and people want to hear it they want to hear slam previews fans are excited this only happens four times a year i'm excited for the actual tennis i'm excited for the mid tournament episode for the recap i'm just saying there's nothing that's actually happened yet. Well, let me shut up because I'm about to get kicked off of my own show if I don't stop. <laughs> and you definitely don't want to hear a solo show from me because it would just be mess begetting mess. He's unable to deal with the fact that I'm being the negative Nancy, which is usually the role that he fulfills on the mm. show in this tandem. <laughs> I'm the one usually having to like pull him out of the gutter to like get on air and get with it. <laughs> the gutter. No, I get it. The reason that I, I'm hesitating to fill out my racket bracket this time is because I am tired of embarrassing myself for the whole world to see. My Australian Open brackets were terrible. So I get I get where you're coming from. Well, in the words of Melania Trump stolen from Michelle Obama, be better. Be best? Be best. Come on. Shoot for the stars. So qualifying ended today. Sunday schedule is out. This thing is is ready to go. So the draws have been made. Where shall we start? Before we get to the actual draw, I think it's good to point out that the clay season this year has offered a much more diverse array of winners so far. Nadal typically wins multiple clay titles in the run-up. This time he only won one. Uh, It made room for people like Fabio Fognini, Dominic Thiem, and Novak Djokovic. Not that Thiem and Djokovic are new to this. But we also saw Christian Garin win two titles. Matteo Berrettini have an incredible clay season. Alexander Zverev, who has run, won several huge titles on the surface, have not a very good few months here. So it was a, it was a really unexpected clay season, I think. While there are still two or three extremely heavy favorites, I think it's a little more interesting going into the men's draw this year. Zverev, for his part, is in the final in Geneva, which has to be considered a massive boon for him at this point, because he's been, frankly, insipid for the last few months. I would say it 
was wise to take the wild card to Geneva last minute because he's had... Wait, can I get you on record here? You're saying it's wise for a top tennis player to play the week before a Grand Slam? I know. I, I'm i not taking my own advice here. But I think in this case, Zverev is sorely needing that confidence. He has actually lost to Jari earlier in the clay season. His losses are not great, but they're not super alarming, right? He lost to Fonini, who won Monte Carlo. He lost to Garin, who has won two clay titles so far. Tsitsipas the runner-up in Madrid, and the winner of Estoril, and Matteo Berrettini in Rome. So those are all tough customers who've had success over the past few weeks. But Zverev is number three in the world. He's used to winning Masters titles on clay, and he needs to get that mojo back. He actually served for the match against Albanos today and was forced into a third set. So he still won. Not a huge deal, but it was like, huh? In Lyon... Benoit Pair and Felix Auger-Aliassime will play in the final. Felix is on the cusp of breaking into the top 20. He's a stone's throw from overtaking Shapovalov in the rankings as well. His rise in 2019 has been meteoric, uh, mirroring, really, Bianca Andreescu's. Benoit Pair, for his part, here's a, a crazy stat that may have flown under the radar for some folks. He's had 17 wins on clay this season. That includes challenger wins, but he won a challenger, and then he also won the 250 at Marrakech, and tomorrow he has a shot to win a second main tour title on clay in Lyon. So by the time you hear this, you'll probably know who won. We don't know right now. And by the time you listen to this, his beard could be looking like Tom Hanks in in Castaway. Mm -hmm. Now, knowing Pear, he may parlay this into a first-round exit at Roland Garros. We have no idea, but dark horse it is. Oh, wow, that, that is a stretch. Oh, like sleep, maybe sleeper pick? To do what? Make the third round? <laughs> I'm just saying, credit where it's due for how he's played so far this spring. With the draw on the men's side, the, the first thing that you're looking for is where the top four seeds fall as far as the top half and the bottom half. And really, no disrespect to Roger Federer, but who of Novak or Rafa is going to have to play potentially Dominic team in the semifinals. Beaten finalist last year and uh, titleist in Indian Wells this year, ranked number four in the world, been making progress at Roland Garros repeatedly, incrementally, over the last few years. A couple semifinals culminating in the final last year and really has, has come of age. He has arrived as a full threat to anybody on the ATP Tour. And given his pedigree on clay outside of Novak and Rafa, he is the one to really watch out for. Mm -hmm. So we had that settled. Top half, Novak and team. Bottom half, Federer and Nadal. And then it becomes a matter of, well, who are the, the other guys that you don't want to have show up in your section in the round of 16 or the quarterfinals? Mm -hmm. Novak was able to avoid Daniil Medvedev in his round of 16. Instead, Rafa got him, possibly like the only real threat to Rafa in his first five rounds. And then you have the potential of running into Del Potro. Where is he going to land? Where is Tsitsipas going to land? And Del Potro is coming back from a very recent injury. So how is he even going to perform? You know, he played well in Rome. But is he going to continue along that path? 
I would say overall, what jumps out is that Nadal's quarter is not particularly challenging for him. But other than that, I don't think the draw is super lopsided. I think you'll find a lot of dangerous floaters on both halves. You know, there are traps laid for for everybody. Like you said, outside of Nadal's perhaps light lead up to the semifinals, it's it's all pretty even Stevens, frankly. Mm -hmm. You could make the case that Novak has a a tough ask having Urkacz in the first round then, well, Sam Querrey and Clay, okay. Uh, there's a, a bit of a notability there just because Query had beaten Novak previously in a slam. Right. But on this surface, I don't think that really lines up. Jama Munar, potentially in the third round, he's being on the come up. Then potentially either Denis Shapovalov or Borna Chorich in the fourth round. Before, should he get there, Zverev or Bautista Agut in the quarterfinals or fabio fonini who is now the number nine seed okay if you would like to come that way that is well, i'm just saying he won monte carlo this year okay okay wait are you totally discounting fabio's chances here uh it's more so that i don't know him and uh i try not to let him seep into my mind's eye or consciousness whenever possible okay i'm just saying that second slot in the quarterfinals is a big question mark for me Lajevic, you may remember, was the runner-up to Fabio in Monte Carlo. He would play Alexander Zverev in the third round, if they both make it. You know, Zverev is the seed slotted into that quarterfinal, but who knows? It could be Fabio, it could be Bautista. It could be Taylor Fritz, who's been playing well on the clay. Actually, it could. The second quarter is teams to lead off, and, and to me it looks like it's teams to win. The the kind of dangerous floaters here are people like Fernando Verdasco, who's played in like 60-something Grand Slams, who's made the second week several, well, I don't know, many times at this point of different slams. Karen Hachanov and Luka Pui, I don't know how either of them are performing at the moment. So-so. Monfils says he's a step slower than he was <laughs> earlier this year, so not exactly exuding confidence to the rest of the field. Del Potre, if you recall, is defending semifinal points. Yes. And uh, he potentially has Karen Hachanov in the fourth round before playing Dominic Team in the quarterfinal. That could be, if you recall their matchup at the U.S. Open a couple of years ago, Team and Del Potro, like this could be a crackerjack match. Del Potro opens against Je uh, Geneva finalist Nicolas Jarry. So depending on when that's scheduled to play, scheduling could play a part there because Jerry is still scheduled to play the final on Saturday. Depending on what kind of shape Del Potro is in after playing well in Rome, there are a lot of question marks here. Uh, Felix Ogealia-Sim could play him in the third round. Granted, Felix is on the better side of 20. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike and, so many of us. And, uh, and so he potentially might be able to be unhindered by the by a finals run, potential title run, the week before a slam. Right, right. But like you say, historically, like folks just don't parlay the week before success into Grand Slam success. So we shall see. Who do you have coming out of that top half on the men's draw? Well, I didn't actually pick anyone. I just wanted to get a handle of like where the seeds were first. Well, could you please pick something right now? <laughs> uh, Dominic Team. Okay. Over? Novak. 
I have the exact same result. <laughs> I think a lot of people will have that result or the opposite result. On the bottom half, what are we looking at? So, we're looking at Tsitsipas as the number six seed going into, to me, the most interesting quarter of this draw with the most potential for chaos. That doesn't mean I think it will be impossible for Tsitsipas to come through. I'm just wondering who the hell is he going to face in the round of 16? Because you see this, this commotion down here. We have Christian Garin facing off against Riley Opelka in the first round. Garin, who's won two titles on clay, as I said before, in Munich and Houston. Slated to play Stan Wawrinka. We have the number 11 seed, Marin Cilic, who could possibly be playing Dimitrov in the third round. But Dimitrov has fallen all the way out of seeding territory. Like, the slump is real. We know this is the story of his career, that he bounces up and down. Never quite this down. It's It's been, yeah, a, a pretty historic slump for him lately. So, out of those four, Stan, Garin, Cilic, and Dimitrov, I have no idea who Tsitsipas is going to face in the round of 16. Well, for me, it's Garin. I have Garin to play Tsitsipas in the round of 16. Okay. Does that answer your question? What? And then I have Schwartzman <laughs> playing Federer in that third quarter of the draw. There's a lot of interest in this area. Cole Schreiber, there's Cecchinato who beat Djokovic last year. He's still the number 16 seed. Because he has those semifinal points from last year. Yes. This is uh, <laughs> He has a decent shot of recouping some of those points. It's conceivable he could beat Schwartzman in the third round to then potentially set up a fourth round encounter with Federer. Assuming Federer gets past someone like Berrettini, who I don't think is a, a knockover on clay at this no, point. No, definitely this year. You know, winner in Budapest, runner-up in Munich, beats Zverev in Rome. I think he's somebody who is clearly feeling himself over the last few weeks. Is he ready to take out Roger Federer at Roland Garros? I have no idea. We will also have a better idea if there is any sort of injury situation with Roger. I have a feeling that it was precautionary, him pulling out of Rome, but we'll see. I skipped over Francis Tiafo, who could be Stefanos' third-round opponent. Do you give Francis uh, a shot in the third round against Tsitsipas? He uh, he hasn't been playing badly on clay. I do. Mm -hmm. I think unless Tsitsipas is playing one of the top, top guys, he can beat anybody on any day. I mean, as to whether he'll beat... Tsitsipas in that kind of potential third round, a tough ass because Tsitsipas has been one of the top guys this year. Right. And he's won basically every match that he's been expected to win and more. He's been incredibly consistent and rising. So you've moved down. Yeah. So moving on to the fourth quarter, which is Nadal's quarter, the big hurdles here, Kei Nishikori and Daniel Medvedev, who are not even in Rafa's section. Kei Nishikori has been oh i mean he's actually had an okay clay season it's just so so for him you know these results aren't terrible he reached the semis in barcelona uh, round of 16 in madrid quarters in rome that the first round lost in monte carlo wasn't great to herbert i don't even pay much attention to nichikori's results in these lead-up events 
I pay more attention to what I've seen from him in recent times at slams mm. where he's been kind of piss poor at being <laughs> efficient in the early rounds of tournaments. And yes. for somebody who is that brittle and this advanced in his career, that's not going to play well for him moving into the second mm. week of this tournament where potentially he has a ravenous Rafa in the quarterfinals. Right. Or he could get tripped up in the round of 16 against Medvedev, who is somebody who is willing to grind. So if K has already expended a lot of energy, Daniil is going to sort of grind him into the ground with his weirdo strokes. Even before that, that second round potential match against Songa has five sets written all over it. Oh my god. Yeah, that's true. Basilashvili suffered a love and one loss to Rafa in Rome. After losing that badly to Rafa in Rome, Basilashvili had a better showing this week. So it's not all yes. doom and gloom Losing for him. Losing to Felix today, right? In the semifinals? It's not all doom and gloom heading into Roland Garros for him, but he does have Rafa as a roadblock in the fourth round. Yeah. And for Rafa, that's probably the best 15 seed you're going to face. Someone you just killed in Rome and somebody who is way, way better on hard courts. I'm not even going to pussyfoot around it. Like, this is a, a light draw for Rafa. This is this is good for him. Mm-hmm. He was able to get the good feelings in Rome. He's able to maybe conserve and plan his first week more so than other players could. Right. I'm sure he would tell you that everybody's a potential Dracaris situation. <laughs> he will. But, <laughs> but the, the reality of it is that he has a bit more leeway should he bring his game to the table every match. The facts are he will start against two qualifiers, regardless of what happens. Which I I don't think is necessarily a cakewalk, because you know that qualifiers Mm. win three matches to get into the main draw, and they are probably, uh, depending on who they are and, and their pedigree, more primed than most to score an upset win, because they have the form, the immediate form, Mm. It's not like they won two matches the week before and then suffered a loss and then had four days before they they played their first match. These folks are coming in three wins in a row without having that knock you down a peg loss. Mm. Right? That's true. That's fair. It just just so happens that these qualifiers aren't necessarily it or in that position Mm. to cause that much trouble to Rafa, I don't think. Those qualifiers being Yannick Hanfman in the first round or... The winner of Madden Kopayans in in the second round. In the second round. Mm. Any first round matches you're looking out for here? On the bottom half, you mentioned Opelka and Garin. Fuchevich and Schwartzman is the one that really pops out for me. That's a bit unfortunate. That's all I have for the bottom half. Mm. I think uh, Berrettini Anduhar could be interesting. Anduhar was the finalist in Marrakech, losing to Pair. Um, he also won a challenger on clay earlier this season. And, you know, he's had a a crazy journey over the past few years. We talked about Djokovic and Urkac. That could be tough. Shardy and Edmund is one that I'm penciling in as one to watch. Fernando Verdasco versus Daniel Evans as hmm. potentially a matchup of two of your not-so-most-well-liked <laughs> players in in curios parlance maybe the saltiest dudes 
I, I think it extends beyond just curious with these two. <laughs> Simon Bolelli and Luca Pui. That could be a big opportunity for Bolelli. Yes, Bolelli qualified for yet another major. He has qualified for so many throughout his career, now in his 30s. Nishioka and Mackie McDonald. Nishioka hasn't been playing that well lately. And then you mentioned it, the Krajinovic francis Tiafo first round match. That could be tough for Francis. Yes. I have Rafa over Dominic in the final, in a repeat of last year. Yeah, I'm not going to be that interesting. I I have the same thing. Who do you have Rafa playing in the semifinals? Tsitsipas. Same. I think, you know, Roger has made two quarterfinals in his two clay events this year. I wouldn't be shocked if Roger made the semis, but I don't think it's going to happen. This is Federer's first trip to Roland Garros in three years, I believe. Mm-hmm. It is cool to see him back. It is. It, it feels like he's been gone for a really mm-hmm. long time. But he is a former winner here, obviously. A former multiple-time finalist. At one time, he was the second-best clay court player in the world. For many years. Mm-hmm. I think we got a glimpse of this in Rome, where a tournament that Federer hasn't been playing in a while, but a tournament with a lot of heft and gravitas you kind of get a sense of what was missing when he's actually there. Mm-hmm. Okay, you could definitely feel like he added... I mean, it should go without saying that Roger Federer being in a draw will add something to the draw, but it it was a marked difference for me. Yeah. I mean, there's just... There's a buzz. There's an excitement on the grounds when Roger is there. People are talking about it constantly. He is the most graceful athlete to ever grace the planet. We got one of those <laughs> op-eds today... <laughs> We got where from the Express, the Daily Mail, the Guardian, no, it was like the, what, the Washington Post or something. Oh. Perspective they called it. Or we can see Federer in a rather run-of-the-mill tennis trick that's oh being propagated as like the greatest thing since sliced bread. You're gonna get us reported to Interpol if you criticize that one more time. <laughs> it it was aesthetically cool. It was really cool. Yes, it was very cool. But it plays into this business of Federer being too graceful for school. Well, it's like, oh my god, he can do things that no one else can do. It's, and people are like, well, you know, like we, he, we love Roger, but like actually it's a like lot of people he, can do that. He levitated the ball. You know, it's <laughs> some grand wizardry. Uh, it's the Foster it, Wallace thing, right? Yes, which is what I always push back against, right? Like this is This is concocted in a lot of ways. Right, there's a lot of it that's actually true, I do believe. Like there is an unmistakable, undeniable artistry to Federer's game. Absolutely. And uh, a gift that is both innate but also the result of incredible hard work. Yeah. And that's a lot more interesting to me as a fan. I I want to know what Roger Federer has been through to become Roger Federer. Because, like, uh, you know, perfection is less interesting. Yeah, because the the constant pursuit of gracefulness and uh, beauty and describing him in those ways necessarily negates the hard work that goes into being Federer. I don't think those two... Or at least down downplays. Same effect. Well, negates, I'm not saying it, it makes it zero. Yeah, yeah. The equilibrium is out of balance when you champion the gracefulness. 
I feel mm. he necessarily doesn't get the due that he deserves because part and parcel of that innate beauty is the fact that it's innate. Right. <laughs> that it comes naturally. And when you talk in those kinds of ways, it means that you don't have to work as hard. Mm-hmm. Right. Which I'm sure he's not too bothered about being universally adored and respected. Yeah. But but that's where a lot of us non-Foster Wallace believers roll our eyes because a lot of that is seems manufactured. Mm. Like the pursuit of that in every venue that you can find it to then, you know, elevate the graceful God. Yeah. Like when in fact this particular instance, like any old tennis coach can do it. So like, okay, <laughs> that's all. <laughs> Happy to have Federer back in this draw. I'm looking forward to seeing how his run plays out. On the women's side of the draw, we could make the claim that it's any woman's tournament, which is a valid claim to make. But I suspect that if you were to go through with making your picks and filling out your draw, a lot of folks would end up with the same people at the back end of it. And you're going to see a lot of people picking Vondrasova as your surprise semifinalist. I think I tried not to, but ended up doing it anyway. And a lot of it, in terms of the upset intrigue, will happen on the top half of the draw. Especially with that first little bit with Naomi Osaka potentially playing the winner of Ostapenko Azarenko in the second round. A lot is riding on that match, I think. This is Naomi's first Grand Slam seeded number one, and she did not get a kind draw on her least proficient surface. Like you said, Ostapenko Azarenka are the first round. The winner will face Naomi. I personally, I'm betting on Azarenka to win that, and I don't think it's going to be that close, to be honest. Azarenka beating Naomi? No, Ostapenko. Yes, I think. Is that... that a foregone conclusion for people, or? I think so. You had the the MC at the draw ceremony being very unkind to Ostapenko. Both. Well, I think it was more. No, I think it was more a dig at Ostapenko. Really? Yeah. Oh. Vika has been resurgent. That much we know. He said that this would have been an intriguing matchup maybe two years ago, but that has more to do with Ostapenko's results. I think that's the way mm. I read it. At any rate, either way, it was very disrespectful. Oh, really unprofessional for a former champion of your tournament. To do that to her yes. was... and not that far out. Only two years ago. That was rude AF. But the reality is, Ostapenko was ranked in the 40s. She has not been doing very well this year. Azarenka is on the come-up. Finalist in Monterey. Took out two-time defending champions, Vitalina, in Rome. And I think she has a real shot here. Naomi is is getting her shit together on clay. No doubt about that. But... That is a really, really tough second round ask. In Naomi's favor, we know that she comes to play at Grand Slams. She's won the last two. She's not somebody to be discounted. And she's also coming into this event after it being announced that she will have her own logo with Nike. She'll be designing her own specialized kits for Nike to wear in court. And she'll be designing her own streetwear line with Nike. This is the kind of treatment that only the super of the stars get with these apparel companies. What a relief. Because her kits with Adidas were so basic, 
And you could see going down the road with a lot of these top women at Nike, just boring, boring stuff. But do you want to get into that? There's been a lot of talk about the Nike kits so far. And I have to say, I give them full credit for thinking outside the box and trying something different. You know, I'm here for prints. And I really think they're interesting. I like the Nike kits quite a bit. There was a side-by-side that was put out there where it seems that Nike may have plagiarized Mm. one or two of those kits from, I think it was maybe Gucci or something, where they just raised the neckline and then turned the bees diagonal rather than have them straight. Like, it was pretty blatant. Like, that stuff, you would fail somebody in college for that. Most definitely. But still, it's cute. I think it's cute for the most part. Of course, we're going to have to to see the way the combinations are put together in any given Mm. uh, outfit and who wears it best. But this is promising. What about the the print with the skeletons and stuff on it? I'm okay with that. That's pretty cool. Folks are like, well, you can't see from afar. Like, who cares? Like, Mm. we've seen so many basic, basic retread stuff that at least this is something in the fresh vicinity. Mm-hmm. to look at <laughs> and a lot of it is black and white which you know i like yes and my point was she has the momentum of the last two slams under her belt she has the momentum of while not winning on clay this season performing better than she has in the past and frankly could have done a lot better had she not had to withdraw from a couple tournaments i think mm-hmm. so given that she's healthy we assume that given that She's comfortable in her position as the top dog being seated for the first time. I think it would be foolish to discount her given, despite how loaded that top section is. Yes. So moving on from her little section, well, I can't move on yet because Maria Sakari is also in her section, who could be her third round opponent. Sakari was the semifinalist in Rome. She was the winner in Rabat, as we said last week. And her fourth round opponent could be Madison Keys, who is a semifinalist last year. And the winner of Charleston. <laughs> so it, it doesn't get any easier for her. Now, in saying this, we have seen draws completely collapse, right? We could None of these players could come through, hypothetically. So who knows what's going to happen? In the other part of that quarter, of course, we have Serena Williams, who just trolls the world by going around Disneyland Paris yesterday in a wheelchair. She's out here trying to have a relaxing day with her daughter and her husband, okay? <laughs> it's not her fault I know. that she's Serena Williams and gets photographed. By a fellow player, no less. Oh, is that what happened? Yes. Who was Iseline it? Iseline Bonaventure. Oh. <laughs> See, that's a bit of a betrayal. Point being, you fell prey to that. The whole hullabaloo panic about what's going on, what is wrong with her, like why is she in a wheelchair? Because she's not been able to make it through tournaments recently. Right. She pulled out of Rome, she's been dealing with this knee injury, and, you know, if you've been a fan of Serena for a long time, you know that the knees are tricky, and they took a lot of the mid-2000s away from her. So we we are nervous. But we saw her practicing today on Chatrier, actually moving her feet which she wasn't doing in Rome in that practice footage. She was just kind of standing still and hitting. She was doing a little sliding. She was coming to the net. It wasn't like a Rafa practice, but it was more encouraging. She draws Daichenko in the first round, 
to then play the winner of Kurumi Nara and Jakupovic in the second round, before then playing the winner of Kennen and Andreescu in the third round, mm-hmm. before potentially getting Ash Barty or Sueche in the fourth round. Honestly, I don't see this as a bad draw for Serena. Some folks were saying, oh, wow, this is tough. But if Serena Williams is healthy and gets to the fourth round of a slam, Ash Barty, no disrespect to her, mm-hmm. is somebody you should A, expect to have to play, and B, somebody that she should still be expected to win yes. against. Yes, on clay especially. Of course, it's alarming that if Naomi and Serena get that far, that they would face each other in the quarterfinals. <laughs> for any Serena fan, that's a, a red flag. It could have been in the fourth round. <laughs> yes. So Andreescu is a huge question mark. Skipped the entire clay season with a, a slight shoulder tear. And she said she was practicing, but wasn't planning on playing any clay tournaments until Roland Garros. So we have zero idea the kind of form that she's coming in with. It would have been fun to see yes. that against Angelique Kerber, personally, in the third round, rather what? than Serena Williams. Oh, given the <laughs> oh the, my god, the dramatic nature of their their I, history. This I don't year. think that we deserve it, or can we can't handle it. So it's fair to say I think that the top half is where it's at as far as the major intrigue on the women's side. Yes. Whereas the men's oh. draw was a little bit more egalitarian. I think the the women's top half was a bit more lopsided. I agree. And we didn't even mention Caroline Garcia, who has had a lackluster season, but is currently in the final of Strasbourg, who could play uh, Madison Keys in the third round. And the winner would face Naomi. Or somebody. Well, that what we, what we just talked about was just one quarter. There's still another quarter in that top half. <laughs> I know. And it includes yes. probably your favorite, the defending champion, Simona Howell. Mm-hmm. Not my favorite, but... As in perhaps, the betting favorite, perhaps whatever. Perhaps the favorite for yes. the tournament. The matchups in this women's draw, it's just stacks on stacks on stacks. There are scintillating matchups everywhere you look, from top to bottom. In this second quarter, you've got Simona Halep and Petra Kvitova as the two headlining stars. And then you've also got Arena Sabalenka thrown in there. You've got a couple of young, exciting players in Sviantec. Sabalenka, Anisimova. Sabalenka and Anisimova could play in the second round. Mm-hmm. Y'all remember what and happened last And you also time. have Mukhova, who is a personal favorite of mine mm-hmm. from last year's US Open. And people are slowly starting to turn on to her, onto the beauty of her game. Someone I desperately want to break out, especially on clay, is Daria Kazatkina. She, uh, she's had not a great clay season so far. And to me, it's, I mean, it's not surprising, but her game should be successful on the surface. You know, round of 16 in Stuttgart is not bad. Same in Rome, but a first round loss in Madrid. Um, You could argue that her losses in Madrid and Rome weren't bad. Losing to Azarenka in Madrid and Van Drusova in Rome. So they weren't shameful losses, but still. Like, this is a former top 10 player. She has so many tools. I want to see her get to the fourth round against Simona Halep and show her something. She's making progress, at least. There was a Mm -hmm. time when she wasn't able to even win a match. She's done that, at least, in the last few weeks. We've also got Monica Puig under the tutelage of Kamal Mari, who's been showing a little bit more than she has. Yeah. 
And you also have Alexandrova, who is another young player who is on the come up. That This quarter has a lot of folks who could bust through and and stake a claim. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it also Isla Tomlanovich, who is Simona Halep's first-round opponent, they played in the first round in Cincinnati oh, last yeah. year. Through the rain. Where and, Tomlanovich yeah. was up and had a chance to maybe put her away and wasn't able to do it in three. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think there are a lot of, like, European indie picks in this quarter. A lot of, like, hipster picks to get through. In other words, the folks who... The folks for whom Kvitova and the Czechs are their queens, they will be going nuts with this quarter. (laughs) And the folks for whom they are way too mainstream, even better. The Sviantec stands. This is where you live. In the bottom half of the draw, last year's finalist, Sloane Stevens, I would say she headlines it. The entire bottom half she headlines? I mean, Kiki Burton's is there as well, but Sloane deserves her due as... Absolutely, Despite yeah. just being seated, what, sixth or seventh? She's the HBIC down there, I think. Well, Karolina Pliskova, just one Rome. Okay. She also <laughs> does not have a Grand Slam title under her belt. No. And is less accomplished at the Grand Slams. If you recall, not so long ago, she hadn't been past the fourth round of a slam. And then she made the, uh, what, the final of... The U.S. Open and then the semifinals again the next year or something like that. But for a long time, she was somebody who was a tremendous underachiever in the bigger tournaments on the WTA. She's got Conchita Martinez in her camp. She's got Renee Stubbs working her, with her as well. I I think that's still going on. The the tandem, the lesbian tandem of coaching oh <laughs> that she's got going on there. I think that is pretty Renee, impregnable. Renee is kind of in and out, right? Yeah. Like not on a uh, full-time basis. But Conchita was there with her in Rome. Man, and Muguruza passed that up. Think about that. Mm-hmm. You were looking at me like I was kind of crazy when I was talking about that just now. But for the oh, first... Please, we please. had to pause and double-check the stats <laughs> here. But for the first four or so years of her career where she was still winning... On the, the lower level events, she, was, she wasn't getting past the third round right. of slams. In the last three years, she's been very prolific. And what I didn't realize is that the first time she made a Grand Slam final, it was also her first quarter and her first semi. And maybe even her first fourth round. Like, oh, well, I she guess was we that, didn't look that close. She was that much of an underachiever at that point. She still hasn't been around that long in the Grand Slam. She was kind of, of a, a late bloomer as far as women's tennis goes. All this was in service of bigging up Sloan. Okay. You you push back against that. What? Let's be clear. Brie for the tennis. In this instance, James, at Elliot JMR, two L's, two T's, pushed back against me, who was defending Sloan. I'm just saying she's not the only headliner in the bottom half. Muguruza is a former champion. Pliskova has had the best season out of the people in this half. They're accomplished folks. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm just saying that Sloan is the one to maybe... If you had to pick somebody to carry the flag at the Tennis Olympics right now, in the bottom half, I would give it to Sloan. In the bottom half of this draw, I think she's earned it. Based on which results recently? You make that catty argument. It wasn't catty at all. It's also because of that argument that you can make my argument. Because it doesn't matter with Sloan. (laughs) That's true. And she has the pedigree of last year's French Open final as well as winning the U.S. Open in 2017. Okay, I don't know why we're having... There's no argument to be made here. We're just analyzing the draw. 
you're the one who's 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 starting shit right now. <laughs> so, Sloane has got a you know a pretty clear shot to the fourth round here. The chaos is going on right below her. So we have Muguruza opening against Townsend, and the big one, Venus Williams versus Alina Svitolina. Svitolina did not reach a quarterfinal on clay, which was really surprising. She won Rome two years in a row in 2017-2018. As you know, she lost to Azarenka in Rome this year after being up in the third set. Gem's life, she I mean, she's never looked happier, first of all. But the tennis is not as consistent as it has been. The bottom line is, it's a terrible draw for Venus. And Venus has been getting a lot of these. It, and you may make is. the argument, and you'd be hard-pressed to push, against, push back against it, that it's what she deserves because of her ranking. Not what she deserves because of who she is. That's why we feel pressed yeah. about it. But the truth of it is she's ranked outside the top 50 now. Like, this was always a possibility. Well, yeah. I mean, you, she could play the number one player in the first round. Yeah. It's not about what someone deserves. It's just the, the luck of the draw. What I'm and saying her is luck that has been shit lately. it has been terrible. Venus, I remember watching Venus play Svitolina in Toronto and just getting mauled. Like, just getting killed by Alina. But... This is not the same player. No. Neither of them are the same player right now. I give Venus a fair shake. I give her a shot. Definitely. Venus has been all over the place, <laughs> despite what Barry Clark might be telling you. <laughs> oh, wow. You spoke the name. He who must not be named. Oh, my Lord. Anyway, Venus left Rome, beaten in the fourth round by Joe Conto, which, whatever. But, it, I mean, it turned out to be, you know, not that bad. Joe Conta made two clay finals. She's been playing really well. They have a history as well. Yes. Joe Conta is one of those players that I say that Venus made. <laughs> <laughs> Beating Venus early at the Australian Open way back when. Oh, yeah. Uh, You're right. Venus has made a lot of players in Australia, in lead-up events, mm. and also in New Zealand. Let's be clear. <laughs> But then she leaves Rome and she goes and she does the unveiling of Court 1 at Wimbledon, plays the exhibition against Kim Clijsters. They have the magnificent rapport in court. They have the big hug at the end. Venus is out here in Paris having fun with everybody. Hanging out with Jeannie Bouchard's grandma. Mm-hmm. Hugging up Grigor Dimitrov, who could have been her brother-in-law. Could have been. Could have been. So close. If not for the black heart. And mind you, we got reports what, what was it, the Miami Herald, that Venus was out in the wee hours of the night in Miami parting with Jeannie Bouchard, and we were like, hold up, what's going on Right, here? that was not this week, but... That no, was... this was a while back. And people were like, oh, they're friends? Like, for real? Not people, we. We were a little bit surprised. <laughs> like, it actually would have been not surprising if it were Serena and, and Jeannie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Venus and Jeannie seemed like a bit of an odd pairing. <laughs> and come to find out, Jeannie's out here on social media just brimming from ear to ear that she's on court with the queen as she terms her and is also able to pose up with venus and her grandmother and have a photo for the rest of her life with her grandma and venus posing together right. doing silly poses like that shit is fun i have but- to say it it does make me soften a little bit to genie to see that like if venus likes you there's there's got to be something about you right and my point in, in talking about all this is Venus is having a good time. Venus uh, only had one strapping in Rome. I do not discount her 
against Svitolina for two reasons. One being the fact that she's in good spirits and enjoying the hell out of her tennis tours right now. And two, the fact that she is Venus Williams and has the mindset that she expects to have to play somebody hard and still expects to beat them. Mm-hmm. You know, like she's not she's not daunted by the fact that she'd have to play Svitolina in the first round. She'd be right. immediately I mean, getting to work to try and figure out how to do it. She's somebody who's played everybody throughout her career. Um, I mean, it's not just that. It's a very specific mindset that she has. That a lot From a lot of folks, it might sound like sports speak and cliche. Mm-hmm. But I absolutely believe that Venus doesn't care. So, in the quarterfinal, in that little slot, we could see Sloane, Svitolina, Muguruza, or Venus. In there, we've got... Two former runners-up, one champion, and Svitolina. I don't know who's going to get there. Then the other side, This we're still in the third quarter here. Belinda Bencic, who has had just a, a crackerjack 2019. Just a, a great, a great first half of this year. Could play the winner of Putinseva Vekic in the third round. Putinseva is in the final in Nuremberg, behaving like her typical low-class self. People are really starting to get annoyed rather than amused, I found in the past week. Really? You think so? I don't know. Maybe it's I just the people I'm following. It's This word is not something that we like to throw around in public. Ooh, what is it? A lot. It just has to be really well-deserved. Putinseva is tennis trash. Oh my. She's trash. <laughs> like, this is trash behavior. It. I feel more comfortable calling the behavior trashy than calling somebody trash, you know? This is your white, middle-class middle sensibilities. This is my uh, get-out-of-jail-free card. <laughs> no, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. We've talked about it on the podcast before, about how the, the lens and the focus is always on a certain sect of folks, and their behaviors are always policed and found reprehensible, whereas others... Are found amusing. I agree. And she's always been in the amusing camp, and people find her. Oh my God, Putinseva is playing this person. This is gonna be popcorn because this is abjectly horrible stuff. Putinseva might be a titleist by the time you listen to this. <laughs> so it's an interesting matchup for Belinda Bencic in the third round. Another um, player that Venus made in Australia. <laughs> oh my God, Joanna Conta. Could face Kiki Burton's in the third round. Burton's is one of the clay queens, but Kanta beat her in Rome. So what do we say to the god of death? Not today. You expect Kiki Burton's to win that match. She's come yes. so far to not lose to Joe Kanta twice on clay mm-hmm. in back-to-back tournaments. That's what I <laughs> yeah, say. Like we're, we're not out here winning Cincinnati like, and Madrid to lose to Joanna Kanta on clay twice. Like, Joanna Conte no is still looking for her first match win at the French Open. Jesus. Her first match You're win. You're joking. I'm not joking. And credit to her that she's had a much better clay season. I was with her in Charleston a couple of years back. and she You was, were with her? Like, just chilling? We were at the round table. Okay. Actually, it was by the end of it, it was just me, her, and somebody else. <laughs> because everybody had left to go talk to Petra. Poor Joe. No tea, no shade. Love the hospitality in Charleston, but that round table stuff is a total mess. <laughs> and that day was a total mess. And so disrespectful to Joe Conza because like Petra is there. Uh, she's the bigger star. Folks want to talk to her. And I was like, 
Well, A, I actually was interested in talking to to, to, to Kanto. I was like, well, mm. I'm, people are whittling out. I'm going to get more of a one-on-one here. But at the same time, Joe probably feels a way like, well, damn, everybody's leaving me to go talk to Petra. Oh, my God. That's sort of like I would have to stay because it would feel so bad. That was part of why yeah. I stayed as well, even though I legitimately wanted to. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that she was asked repeatedly that day was, what about... And I think I may have been the one that she was pushing back on. She was clapping back at me. Saying, well, yeah, I haven't had the greatest results on clay at the WTA level, but I made my first strides on clay mm. on the ITF level. Yeah. And so this is not a surface that awes me or cows me. You know, it, it's just for whatever reason, I haven't been able to, to get the wins. Mm-hmm. So she said, Google me, bitch. Exactly. That's what yeah. she said. That's exactly. That's what it was a quote. So she's here and... It's entirely conceivable, feeling herself, she's made two finals on clay this season, two finals on clay, losing to Sakari the first time, and then in Rome. So is it inconceivable that she'd make the third round and play well and push Burton's? Absolutely not, right. but still I think Burton's, given where she is, should win that match. Mm-hmm. I saw somebody refer to, to Burton's as a dark horse, and Di- <laughs> Diane Elaine Dees on Twitter, well, essentially was like, on what planet is Burton's a dark horse at this tournament? She's one of your square... Um, She's the four seed. She's one of the square (laughs) favorites to win this tournament. I'm so sorry. How can a four seed be a dark horse? And someone who's so proficient on the surface. You're really exposing yourself as being ignorant to what's going on on the women's tour. Frankly. Like, what are their excuses there? I would really... I'd really like to see, don't kill me, a Sloan Burton's match here why would i kill you well because that would mean venus didn't get there i do not expect venus okay, to get there. i'm just saying i think sloan burton's could be an int- very intriguing matchup in the court i believe that's what i've picked oh okay um the the f- fourth quarter is really the what the fuck quarter in my opinion meaning anything meaning goes. Anne kerber at first i was like wow kerber's draw is pretty soft until I realized Vondrasova could be her second round opponent. Mm-hmm. But after that, it's like, God, I don't know. Who knows? Okay, fine. But then she still has to play potentially Suarez Navarro or Yastremska or Sharma in the third round if she beats Vondrasova. Okay. And then but... maybe Elise Mertens or Sevastova. Like these folks aren't, ju- they're not Kingslayers, right? Or, or Queenslayers. Mm-hmm. You don't think of them as folks to really fear, okay. but they're folks that. Each of them could do a little thing. I, I agree. But we are talking about, you know, a three-time slam winner. Somebody whose worst surface is clay. But this is still Angelique Kerber. She's a five seed. Um, it could be literally so much worse. Yes, absolutely. You know? Yeah. Um, but the, the makeup of this section is why, even before the draw was made, folks were pointing to Vondrasova. But because it is what it is now... It's all the more reason why folks are picking her to get through there. Well, yeah. And I actually even forgot. She made the quarters at both Indian Wells in Miami before the clay season. She was the runner-up in Istanbul, and she made the quarters in Rome, as we know. Elsewhere in this fourth quarter, you've got Caroline Wozniacki, who had to retire against Danielle Collins in Rome. We may have talked about this on the last podcast. We were there for that match. We wanted it. And we sat down at the end of the first set only to see the net being pulled on because yeah. Caroline had to retire. Huge question mark. Gerges, who would be her fourth round opponent, also a huge question mark. We've got uh, possibly Petra Martic or Kikin Mladenovic, 
who could face off against Karolina Pliskova in the third round. Martic is a title winner in Istanbul, who beat Vondrasova. Kiki Mladenovic has beaten a whole host of very good players on clay since teaming up with Sasha Bayan. She is your definitive dark horse. Well, I guess Vondrasova is one as well. Right. But Kiki is somebody who's primed on the backs of this new coaching change, on the back of starting to play better, and maybe being able to recapture some of the magic of her clay season from two years ago. This is a section that could be good for her. Mm -hmm. The big stumbling block would be Pliskova in the third round. Yeah, Pliskova has just been remarkably consistent this year. Not just this year, for a while now. Well, yes, but she has had a very, just a very good 2019. And so for me, Pliskova gets to the semifinals. However, if somebody, like you said, if somebody like Medenovic or Vondrusova beat her, it wouldn't be the biggest shock in the world. I have Kiki Burton's playing Simona Halep in the final, and I have Simona Halep winning. Mm. I don't, I didn't make any predictions, but I can tell you that's not a final that I want. I'm asking you here now to tell me who you see in the bottom like half. Like who I want or who I see actually doing Whatever you feel like telling us. Probably, well, I don't know. I, re- I like, just don't I understand really how don't every know. time you come to this show with a preview episode and you're totally caught off guard by this segment. I know, I, but I'm more concerned about like getting the facts right. You know, knowing how people have performed through the clay season than actually making predictions. Because as you said... Those are so ephemeral and they're proved wrong so quickly. So, yeah, but as fine. you said, pushing back against me when <laughs> I was saying that, this is what the people want. Fine. And you still have a draw that well, you listen. have filled out up to the quarterfinals there. So it's just a stone's throw here to go my, even further. Here is my prediction. Kiki Burton's beats Petra Kvitova. Okay. Period. There you go. Period. Draws are done. Other stuff that's been happening. Nick Kyrgios withdrew today with an illness. This is after... He had a week. I mean, I called it um, expectations management his past week, doing the NCR podcast, you know, the, the, the table flipping, the Rome default, and then he did an Insta story from the All England Club where he was hitting with Sir Andrew Murray saying that the French Open sucks compared to Wimbledon. Absolutely sucks. And he said it several times. The people were upset. It's really not anything to get upset about. He's a pure attention seeker, a troll at this point. And my my take is like, if you don't want to play the French Open, don't. And he took my advice. He's not. (laughs) (laughs) Which I mean, like, it's really that simple. Over the course of our actual lives, tennis players have done this. Andre Agassi did not play Australia for many years. Turns out it was his most successful Grand Slam. Mm-hmm. For a long time, he didn't play. For a long time, he didn't play Wimbledon. Oh, he hated Wimbledon. He well, he played it, but Even he though hated it. Was his it, first Grand Slam, and win. he won his first Slam there. Mm-hmm. So many of the tennis pros did not go to Australia for whatever reason. You could point to many in the seventies, mm-hmm. leading into the eighties. Took a while for the Australian Open to build their prestige, right? Their calling card. Yeah. Yvonne Lendl hated grass. Marat Safin hated grass. Like, the whole surface discrimination thing is not very controversial. It's, no. It's a part of the tennis fabric. Monica hated grass. Such a successful player who never won Wimbledon. A, a, you know, a GOAT candidate. Anyway, Nick is out. He was practicing with Andy Murray. And that brings us to the next little morsel 
that we've gotten from Andy. He is feeling good. He's hitting, at least, without pain. And he expects that he'll be able to play doubles at Wimbledon. When this first happened, it was like, well, perhaps by some miracle he could be back playing singles mm. at Wimbledon. And there's like, well, maybe doubles. And then Jamie Murray came out and said, listen, I'm in, I think he said the prime years of my career. I think that may, <laughs> The he, peak, he said the peak He years. may have been a bit generous to himself because well, he's kind of old. He is Andy's older brother. Yes. And Andrew well, is 31. You know, the Bryan brothers are still out here winning stuff. <laughs> yes. And they're in their 40s. And this is post-hip uh, resurfacing surgery. Yeah. But Jamie was like, I ain't playing with Andy. Like, I can't waste an opportunity to get some coin. I really appreciated the frankness and the honesty of that comment. Mm -hmm. He said, as you said, I'm in my peak years. And I'm not going to play with someone who hasn't hit a ball in eight months. I want to win. Like, this isn't a sentimental journey for me. I expect to win Grand Slam tournaments. Reminded me of Fred Van Vliet's response last night oh after the Raptors game, which you tweeted. He was asked if uh, the birth of his son has inspired him to new heights. Which was something that piqued our interest immediately, because all these men who go through 30 hours of labor and then have to come back to play tennis mm. without any help, they get asked this all the time, yes. right? <laughs> And he said, no. He said, no, I'm not giving my son that credit. I worked hard for this. Right. <laughs> because the reporters set him up for this cliched response, mm -hmm. right? And he refused to give it, just like Jamie Murray refused. The, the good news is that Andrew Murray is seriously hitting and said in his own words, in doubles, I'm pretty certain I'll be able to play. And you think that potentially, if we're to think of who could partner... Andy Murray, who is the floating wild card on the men's tour, who does whatever he wants, wherever he wants, would not have a regular doubles partner to partner up with, mm -hmm. and who is one of his besties on tour, right. who was just hitting with him at Wimbledon? Nicholas. Nicholas. And Andy Murray is one of the only people in tennis that Nicholas really respects. So you have to imagine that he would actually really try. Because he values Andy's opinion. Andy's like his dad, I think. Basically. He's, yeah. Andy is his tennis dad. <laughs> okay, what else? We asked readers what they were looking forward to with this year's Roland Garros, and we got some great responses. Mladenovic's run, or potential run, this is from Catherine Shaw, and Kiki's possible interactions with the crowd. Because you know, how's that's going to go? Kiki's a bit of a mess when she's ready. Well, and you remember that controversial match against Muguruza when Garbina was defending the title and she was crying in press and it was it was just ugly. And Catherine is also looking for Suwei style. We certainly are too, casual queen and seeing Osaka on clay. At Dolfer, D O L F E R, is looking forward to a Rafa Joker final with Novak going for Novak Slam 2.0. Uh, while Rafa is trying to salvage his year. That is a bit of an <laughs> overstatement, I feel. Trying to salvage his year. Well, but there, still is, has... there is an element of that because he had a very ugly loss to Djokovic in the Australian Open final. It was really ugly. You know, making the final obviously is huge, but this is Rafa Nadal. Like, making the final isn't enough. He had a, a bumpy clay season before winning Rome. And, it is enough. Making yeah, the think... Australian Open final is enough. But losing the way he did was not. Okay, sure. That was the sure, eye-opening sure. part of it. No, but I see where 
Dolfer is going here. Okay. And we would be remiss if we didn't mention that this is possibly the site of Novak Slam 2.0. How yeah. dare we miss that? Like, that is huge. It is absolutely huge. Especially it should be a bigger, given... Like, it should be a bigger story than it is. Especially given where he was coming from. It was <sighs> diabolic. What? Losing... Shambolic. Shambolic. Was... I like that word. <laughs> it was... All the Nole fans were locked in their panic rooms <laughs> for a good six months because it was alarming. Thank God that their panic rooms are equipped with Microsoft Office. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Because we still heard from them. Yes. Spreadsheets <laughs> out the ass. But <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, last year he was here losing to Cecchinato. This year he comes in on a three slam streak. Winning four slams in a row again puts you in rarefied air. It puts you in in the air of, uh, I mean, no one. No one in the open. And honestly, there are a lot of folks who are not willing to cede ground to Novak as the GOAT. We are personally not interested in that discussion right now. Right. At least until, I don't even know when to tell you. I'm just saying, if this happens. No, I'm speaking. Okay. You're not just saying, I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying that if Novak is able to do this Novak slam twice and up his slam tally and potentially beat Rafa and Clay with Rafa playing well. We haven't really had this happen at the French Open where Novak is able to beat Rafa at his best mm-hmm. on his home court. Very, very close. Before. Very close. But if, if he's able to do this to achieve this monumental victory, you, it, you have to start cons- considering him in the same breath. Most folks aren't willing to concede that Novak is one of three GOATs right now. They see it as just Fidel. But I think if Novak wins this tournament, and especially if he beats Rafa, it's at the very least an, a, a, a free entry into the mm. GOAT discussion. Are you saying we have a Whitney, Mariah, Celine situation going on? Sure, and let's cast them. Well, we'll have the listeners cast them. <laughs> What else are you all looking forward to? We have some clay haters out here. Peter and Dima, friends and frequent listeners, said they're looking forward to grass to start. And Dima's looking forward to the end of the clay season. Well, Peter just wants that for Andy because (laughs) he's Andy's main boo, right? Mm -hmm. But Dima is a Fed fan, I believe, if I've paid attention to these things. And so I can see, if I'm making assumptions here, why the clay would be a little bit of a tumultuous but you don't couple know. months. We don't know. We don't Maybe know. I'm being presumptuous. Brian Harmon, excited for the routine, return of Bianca, as are we. I'm curious to see what kind of form she's in and how Queen Naomi brings her game to a slam on clay. Indeed, because she has approached these past two slams as an absolute boss. Fabian is also interested in the Novak slam number two, that for sure will be one of the the main stories, especially if Novak is able to survive the first week and make his way through to championship weekend. Mm -hmm. It might not be the biggest story right now because Federer is back, Nadal is defending, Serena is there, people are going crazy over the wheelchair, what that means. (laughs) There's a lot of other stuff going on that, for better or worse, or whether or not it hurts your heart or gives you life, Novak doesn't drive the news in tennis as much as some of the other elder states, men and women Mm. of the game. But if Novak makes it to that championship weekend, all these other stories 
will have been filtered out and we will get those stakes on offer. And finally, Shannon Clark, our fellow Torontonian, is looking at the loud slash weird kits that look good on red clay. That is the truth. And she associates the French with fun slash WTFness that the other three slams don't quite bring. And I, I get that. The French, first of all, the, the crowd is weird and raucous at the French. And strange things happen here. Speaking of bold colors, GQ released an interview with Francis TFO yesterday, accompanied by just a, a stunning photo shoot. Absolutely gorgeous photographs of TFO on a hard court wearing all these bold, loud colors. Mm-hmm. And just, just beautiful to look at. Beautiful to look at. The actual clothes, when you look at them, were not cute. Oh my in my God. opinion. R- come on. A lot of the clothes were not cute. But he looked good in them and the colors popped. Yes. And I'm ecstatic that he is getting his due. It sure as hell beats uh, John Isner maybe getting a write-up in the National Review. Like this oh my is. God. I'm just saying, this was... We talked about a, a lot on this show how Francis never gets his due. Who, he's the second highest ranked American male player right now. He's up to number 35 or 34. He's had big results. He's beaten top players. But time and time again, we see him overlooked when folks are like, well, who's going to be the next uh, slam winner from the U.S.? And what, last time was Brad, Brad Gilbert saying it was Riley Opelka? Uh, give me a fucking break. <laughs> <laughs> that's a finable offense. Exactly. I'm that's sorry. A, that's a in, yellow card. In Brad's words, that's a findable offense. <laughs> that's a yellow card. And... Francis, big up to you. Congrats. I will say that the yellow tunic he was wearing reminded me a lot of Judas from Jesus Christ Superstar. Very early 70s. Loved it. The Fendi button-up shirt cost Mm -hmm. $5,400. How much did his chest hair cost? Because that... (laughs) That shit is free. (laughs) Some people are not a a fan of it. (laughs) Anyway, um... Katie Bolter withdrew from Roland Garros today. She had to cross the English Channel to go collect her check. This is interesting, right? Listen, like you actually have to show up in person to get your check. This was happening in real time with the live draw because I was watching the live draw and following Twitter at the same time. And Raz Sattar, who is on the British beat mm-hmm. from of- Britwatch Sports, she was tweeting, well, what? Katie Bolter is still in the draw? I don't understand. Like, I thought she was injured. She was... I couldn't tell if she was being shady or actually wondering if like something had passed her by. Right. And like, is this actual news right now that she's still in the draw? And then we learned. Because some folks came out with some snarky, sarcastic tweets today. Are you talking about me? Well, you claimed that you were joking. It was a joke. The Some members of the British press actually wrote stories mm-hmm. with really... <clears throat> Uh, inflammatory headlines about how this was shady or scammy or like it was grift, right? I was joking that this got to respect this scam, but it's not. It's actually a good thing because the Grand Slams have changed the rules about withdrawals, right? So like if you withdraw before you actually play the match because you're injured, you are entitled to half the prize money of a first round loser. And then the qualifier will then slot into that. So she, she really did the right thing. Because of her play over the past year, her ranking qualified her for Roland Garros. She earned a spot on this draw. 
they're only like a hundred players who are able to say that it's a right. unique club like yeah. it takes a lot of work to get to that yes. point and these players need the money period so by withdrawing before she has earned her 20,000 euro or whatever half the prize money of a first round loser but she's also afforded the opportunity for a lucky loser to take her place in the draw mm-hmm. she didn't go out there and give a half-assed effort and retire halfway through the match which is what it's this totally whole different. rule change is designed for right yeah, yeah. it boils down to a matter of optics mm-hmm. and this is where on the last episode i don't know if i was able to convey it properly but most times when we talk about optics we're really trying to moralize on people rather than actually deal with the facts which really are not an issue mm-hmm. right like if you really analyze what's going on here like what else should she have done like she didn't give a press conference for the Brits to then grandstand and grill her right, like what for is she 30 minutes so that they could generate all this sexist garbage. She's supposed to say, yeah, yeah, I knew I was injured. I didn't play the whole clay season, but like I'm entitled to my money, period. What of it? Bitch better have my money. When you're at that ranking to you need that 20,000. Yes. Pounds yeah. as well. Not just like... <laughs> Well, well, it was quoted I, in pounds. I wouldn't go bragging about the pound lately. But, <laughs> the article you know, I read it was back in 2003, wasn't, yeah. yeah, that would have been mad money. Uh, anyway, the process is a little wonky. Like, I don't I don't know why she has to go in person. They mm-hmm. can't send that shit in the mail. or so We've or, seen folks on Twitter make it, that, that you know? claim. And Marseille was like, yeah, yeah, just show up and just send a check. Right. Like, what's so the that's issue? awkward, but that's not actually her fault. To end on a positive note, we saw... This uh, Kinder Girl World Day on May 21st this week, a hashtag that was started by Fearlessly Girl, which is the organization that Madison Keys has been working as an ambassador for for the past three years. It's a, a nonprofit organization that is meant to stop bullying and toxic behavior among girls. So this thing was really successful this year, and this it's, campaign. It's something that's personal to Madison for the online cyberbullying that she's targeted. Mm-hmm. So we, she's actually one of the players who has started exposing people who have targeted her online. These you know, loser betters, right. right? And so, you know, so many players receive this type of abuse online. And if players didn't start publicizing it, we would really have no idea. No. People show up in their DM saying, I hope you and your entire family get burnt to smithereens or something. Oh, right. It gets crazy stuff. So... I'm super impressed by Madison's involvement in this. She's been their ambassador since 2016. She works very closely with the founder of this organization. Actually, last year, at the end of last year, she co-hosted the world's largest anti-bullying assembly in history. You know, going out across all these different schools, live streamed, targeted at toxic behavior among young women. And, and how to spread kind of support and joy and appreciation instead. So this campaign, hashtag Kinder Girl World Day, was an accompaniment to this whole movement, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, to throw you under the bus, you thought the hashtag was shit. That's not fair. I didn't understand <laughs> the hashtag. I thought it was like Kinder, like the candy company. Oh my god. And I sat there dumbfounded. <laughs> I was like, what? I, what? Of all the things, I'm home from work trying to watch TV, and you're bringing this to my space. I just don't, and I didn't just really understand did not under- the wording. But I didn't understand why this was, A, difficult for you to get, and B, 
of all the things to register as something to unnerve you. This was one of them. Anyway, I'm trying to show support here. (laughs) Madison kicked it off by sharing her thoughts about watching Serena and Venus Mm -hmm. growing up. Shakira chimed in outside of tennis. Well, now she's tangentially related to tennis. Serena chimed in Mm -hmm. and said, I love your new music, blah, blah, blah. And then Shakira quote tweeted her and was like, girl, I love you too. (laughs) Thank you for making my day. Right. We heard from Billie Jean King, Sloane Stevens, Kevin Anderson, Julie Foudy. Muguruza had a big old cute video that she had put out. Mm -hmm. Julie Foudy from the World Cup winning team. In 1999, let's football legend, Chris Everett, of course, Tracy Austin, mm-hmm. Pam Shriver. It, it seemed really successful. And it felt organic. It didn't mm-hmm. feel put on. It didn't feel like folks were trying. And then you also had a few mutuals on Twitter giving genuine big ups to other women on Twitter that we interact yeah. with. Like yeah, it's it a, cool. It's a big community within tennis. And a lot of the big players and the nicest people are women. <laughs> you know, and it oh. was very uplifting. Yeah. So good on you, Fearlessly Girl. Good on you, Madison. So impressed with what you've been doing. On that note, thanks for listening. You've come to the end of episode 159. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes or whatever podcast catcher that you use. These reviews provided their positive, help build (laughs) the profile of the show. And if that's not in your wheelhouse, let your friends know. I got a a message from someone this weekend. Well, it's not the weekend yet. A couple days ago. Mariah's in in Europe right now for her Caution World Tour. We saw her when she was stateside. Mm -hmm. She started in Ireland and there was this Cracker Jack review that was written. And being who I am, I tend to... I get notifications about Mariah-related stuff. <laughs> so you read, like, the Singaporean reviews, the I just Irish get, reviews, I just get notifications, be them on YouTube <laughs> or be them on Google. And so things tend to not escape me, Mariah-related. Mm-hmm. And I read this article in praise of Mariah's performance. And at first, I was like, well, maybe this is a bit much. But then I went and watched some of the fan videos. And seriously, like, this was the best she sounded in years at this concert Mm. she was great when we saw her but she was doing she was making musical choices and changing up songs and going for notes in ways that she hasn't done in whatever she was confident and so this this article was very appropriate Mm. in its in its lavishing praise on mariah and i i did a screenshot of a section of it that compared mariah going for the high note to serena serving an ace at wimbledon and i tweeted that i felt seen I didn't know who the who the author was on on Twitter. I tried to find her, but I couldn't figure. I couldn't find her. And then the next day, I wake up, and the author has reached out to me, and said, "This is amazing. My friend who loves your podcast, cousin. my cousin who loves your podcast, showed me this, and I'm just like over the moon." And I was like, "Well, my God, like this is the holy trinity." What a small of- world amazingness for me and also what a small world like it was it was great and i wish i had been at that dublin concert because as for mariah hack i know that she brings her most at the the very beginning of her tours 
Okay. She starts to scale back. And you want me to scale back and end this episode mm-hmm. right now. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James. I'm at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. The Body Server is on Twitter at The Body Server as well as Instagram. Let us know what you think of the episode. Happy French Open. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.